they said, why is this not a hobby? How can you prove to us this isn't your hobby? I mean, I shouldn't even say it. It was so dark. Someone said we should be partying on yachts and we should let our head of product take care of oh, the yeah. site. And we're like, who? what do you think? I was like, I don't are. think I, there's nobody. I, How well do you think this yacht company there, is please. doing? <laughs> can I borrow your you have a yacht? <laughs> you have a yacht I can borrow? Party yes. Yes, there was a lot of judgment thrown our way. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there, and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, we catalog our music, our photos, our budgets. So why not our clothes? You're about to meet two founders who thought just that. Actress and model Brooklyn Decker joined forces with former news anchor Whitney Casey to create Finery. It's an app that automatically organizes your closet digitally. It keeps track of your online shopping. And the best part, it even creates outfits. It builds them for you. So for those clueless fans out there, think of Cher Horowitz's Closet 2.0. The friends turned business partners are building the brand and the technology from the ground up. So how did they turn that big idea into actual reality? Here are Finery founders Whitney Casey and Brooklyn Decker. Brooklyn Decker and Whitney Casey, welcome to No Limits. Thank you. Yay, for glad us. to be here. I'm thrilled to have you with us. So you are the co-founders of Finery. Yes. You came up with this idea how? Take it away, lady. No. <laughs> Well, I was using a bunch of different apps like um, TripIt and Mint for your banking and Spotify, of course, like we all do for our music. And I just remember thinking, like, why is this not available for your clothes? Because every time you buy something online, it should be able to go into your wardrobe. So Brooke and I always wanted to do something together. We've always been like, we should start a company. And then every time we started thinking of ideas, they were just, they were bad ideas. (laughs) (laughs) And and frankly, like, they were all ideas that were meant to sell stuff to women. And, like, there are plenty of people doing that really well. Why do we need more in the market? And there's really nothing out there that's advocating for consumers. And so we thought, how cool would it be to actually make something that is a service to users that sort of, I wouldn't say defends them, but advocates for them in a market where they're being told to buy, 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 buy all the time. You guys met at a party or a girls weekend? Yes, yes. girls weekend. It was like a it was like a friendship blind date where a friend of ours got a lot of women from different cities together in one place and said, I think these women would mesh really well together. And Whitney and I both at the time were living in Austin and immediately gravitated toward one another and have been friends ever since. Um, but it was kind of a cool way to to really approach a girls weekend. It was like, I'm going to get a bunch of strangers together. I think we'll all get along. It was like a potluck dinner for an entire weekend. It was but for nice. friends. But for friends. Yeah. yeah. yeah That's we a great her. idea. She's amazing. That, that She's is... wonderful. What was the reason that you wanted to start something initially? Well, I, I, I think being an entrepreneur is one of the most empowering things that you can be because you can work on your own schedule. Um, it ends up being that you actually have used way more time than a nine to five job. So you work on your own schedule, but you work around the clock. And I think that there's also just a passion inside of me for this type of company because it's really surrounding making a li- the life of women easier. And Brooke and I both really gravitate towards that. We're always the friend that's like, you should try this. It it works so you can you can get things done faster or better or quicker. 
I think something that's really interesting about entrepreneurship for us was like, let's control our schedule. Let's build something from the ground up. Let's really take ownership over something. Let's take control over something. Let's put something really good into the world. And I think when you're in media, that's not always a luxury that's afforded to you. You're sort of on someone else's time and dime and at the mercy of someone else thinking that you're cool enough to work, you know? And and so that's true. It, it just is. Yeah, you so don't have to be cool enough to work if you're an entrepreneur. You no, actually... you just have to be the hardest working person in the yep. room. And I think that's something that excited the both of us. I really us. love that, by the way. You don't have to be cool enough. You, you, you have to just do what you love. Yeah. Okay, so the two of you come together. You work together. You're friends. How did you make that relationship work for the business? So Whitney and I are not afraid to argue with each other (laughs) and to stand up to each other and to disagree with each other. And that's kind of what our friendship was based on, this just brutal honesty and holding each other accountable and keeping our expectations for one another very high. And so we had had that rapport already and we knew that we could go to one another and there would be no sugarcoating. And so when we talked about going into business together, I just knew we knew that this could be a really open, honest, and real relationship where we could really keep each other in check. Not to mention, I feel like our strengths complement each other really well. Totally. Um, so we never questioned it. I mean, and we had obstacles and we were friends before starting this company. We got through them really mm-hmm. well and we came out the other side better. And so I think, you know, it's kind of like a marriage. It really is. You know, really? when sometimes we talk more than we talk to our husbands. <laughs> In fact, the other day it was your it was your birthday and I had this long day and we spent an hour and a half with Andy on the on speaker. Yeah. And he was just like, oh, God, these women. I mean, well, we just kept... We had our anniversary the other night. Andy and I did. And I was under the covers in bed slacking Whitney <laughs> so that Andy wouldn't see my phone on because it was our anniversary. And he'd be like, get off your phone. Stop working. I need one night from you. It's our anniversary. It's not like we're on a group text. Like, hey, no. sending funny. Like, we're yeah. like, okay, what about this wireframe? I don't like this wording. I think we should try it. think about this copy. I don't like it. We're changing it. Yeah. So yeah. it's... And I... I the basis of it is also just respect. Mm-hmm. Like you as a friend, I respect Brooklyn, but as an intellectual and as um, an entrepreneur and a businesswoman, there is a level of respect that you can we can be open and honest with each other because we both really respect each yeah. other at like the at, at the root. Have your feelings ever been hurt in the relationship and how did you move past that? Oh, we've we've pissed each we're, other we're off brutal. for sure. Yeah. I feel like we do it fairly regularly. <laughs> like, the, the, something ridiculous. So this week, we're having our launch event, and we're doing a big rebrand. We got the logos kind of late. We ordered napkins for the part. Like, this is what we're doing. This is like, these are, this. that's what's so funny is like, as an entrepreneur, you think about all the big ideas and starting a company and growth. But like, no, you're ordering napkins with your logo for the party. And so I was responsible for ordering the napkins. And I ordered them, and they're getting here the day before the party. And Whitney was like, if this is less, left to last minute, then you know that I'm just going to take control of the situation. It's going to stress me out. And I was like, Whitney? stay in check we just got our logos the napkins are going to be there yes i was delayed do not worry about it but like we get into those two things those sort of i was like i ordered them three weeks ago for our first launch i was like no you didn't no you didn't we get into those things yes often but they're funny and we laugh about them and at the end we were actually it was on a slack thread with our head of marketing and at the end she just sent us a picture of her holding a glass of wine and like that was the perfect ending to the conversation yes um so i mean you're going to get stressed out and you're going to have those moments where the pressure's on and everyone's hustling to the finish line and, uh, you know, something will be missed or one of us will mess up, most likely me, Brooklyn. Um, and and we just we keep each other in check and we get it done. It's scrappy. But it's scrappy I also right now, do not have done. a full time job as an actor on a Netflix show 
and two children. Okay, so the napkins. I should. I in the, the big napkins picture. will be there. <laughs> we'll they see. will be there. We'll see tomorrow. I did also have the old napkins from our old brand shipped to us just in case. Whitney, I think, I mean, as a journalist myself, your background in media as a journalist is really intriguing to me. Were you along the way as a journalist thinking, I got to break out of this? I think as a journalist, you're so entrepreneurial anyway. Every story is a little entrepreneurial get. I think just like Brooklyn said, I really definitely wanted the freedom of not being 40 and being looked at as like, well, you're 40. What are you going to do next? Because like in television, I'm sorry, but I mean, the face for TV doesn't last very long if you're a woman. Well, that was your experience. You were told you had an expiration date. Yeah. As most of us are in media. And that's just that's dark. It's, it's so dark. It's, but it's true. And you can be as old as you want and be an entrepreneur. You can be as wrinkly as you want. You can be whatever you want as long as you are the hardest worker. And I always say, too, it's like not about passion. It's about obsession. Mm. And you have to have an obsession for this. What is the difference between passion and obsession? Obsession is you you can't breathe without this. Everything you see, it's like when you start seeing your branding everywhere. You start seeing a window and you're like, that looks like our new branding. And you really want to talk about it with everybody. And it's not like you're trying to proselytize. It's like, this is the only way. What's been the biggest setback and how did you overcome it at this point? I think personally, uh, we built this product and what we do is we get your closet online, basically like the clueless closet on your phone. And when we were building it, we thought like this is that aha moment. We are getting your closet online. This is it. This is incredible technology. We have a patent. This has never been done before. And then we did it and people loved it. But our users were like, cool, now we want styling. Now we want to be able to add to a calendar feature. Now we want to know when our favorite things go on sale. Now we want you to dress us. And we thought our job was done. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Turns out that was phase one of a multi-phase product. Um, So I think for, for me, it was kind of thinking that we had that big product. We had that aha moment with our user. And then realizing, oh, no, 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 no. This is just the start of the climb. Yeah, they want more. Yeah. Which is always a good thing when they want more. That takes work. I mean, look at a company like Facebook right now trying to figure out how to sort of go through all of their technology and weave in all of these new elements. Yep. Not easy. Not easy. And you have to iterate quickly on user feedback. That's the thing is like that's the great thing about technology is that you can move quickly. But because of that, users are really demanding and and they want what they want. They want it now. Um, It never ends. It never ends. And that's a good thing. I think it makes the product better. We have to start approaching products and tech products specifically as to what women want and what women need and how are we going to make something that's going to build our lives in a better way. But but there are not many women who are thinking about tech that way. And what I would love to do is like try to encourage any woman who feels there's a huge problem that she needs to have solved. And if she has no idea how to build tech, which neither of us did, that she still can. How did you start? on that front with the building of the technology after you had the idea? Well, the first idea was actually to go approach retailers and say, hey, after you check out, uh, to basically onboard people that way. After you check out, add this to your closet. But then we started thinking about scale. You'd have to hire a ton of salespeople. You have to get retailers to do something that they've never done before. And that was just not scalable. So then um, about a year prior to starting the company, I'd met this young man. He had dropped out of college 
and he gave me an elevator pitch in an elevator about his app. <laughs> and it was a news app and I was in news. So it made sense. I mean, it was perfect. And then his news app didn't work out. And of course, we contacted him and said, let's get started on this. Let's build a prototype. So we we bootstrapped, put our own money in, built a prototype. And I mean, it was really janky. I mean, it was like we tried to take a look at three receipts to see what we could get from them. And we got like 20%. But once we knew that we could get 20% of the items out of out of these receipts, we knew that if you actually build it, you could build a system that could pull things from all receipts at, at some point. Because that's that's kind of how it, the whole thing works. It pulls from the receipts in your history and then populates uh, the app with the clothing that you have purchased over time. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Oh, you got it. That Yay! was like a very. I was like, wait, let's write that down. It. Yes, that's a great. Um, copy. Okay. Yes. Yes. This is this is how I I read other people's things all the time, and I'm like, oh, I wish I had said it that way. Yes. Yeah. That that's is good. Amazing. Um. So okay. So you come up with this idea. You find a guy who pitched you in an elevator mm-hmm. on the technology. You build it out. It's janky in the beginning. <laughs> very janky. How do you sell it to investors? We didn't sell it at that point. And when it was janky, we didn't sell it. We just built on it and we kept getting better and we kept making sure our technology could adjust to these receipts and we kept going back further in the purchase history. And so we really tried to work and grow on that janky technology to make it substantial, reliable technology. And once we did that, um, we had a beta and we sent it out to friends and family and said, "Okay, guys, sign up. Let us know what you think. How did you know it was ready to send to friends and family? It's never ready. It's never ready. It, it was it basically you have to kick the kid out the door and basically take off the training wheels and be like, go, because it's never going to be ready and it's never going to be perfect. And so that's kind of where I just say, all right, let's jump. Yeah. Time to jump. And what's so great about having Brooke is she's like that. She's not that she will balance me on everything, but she will also be like, let's do it. And that's what we had to do. And we're dealing with that now because we're doing a big relaunch and redesign. And we're like, we got to get it perfect. We got to get it perfect. But sometimes you just got to get it out there and get the users on and and see what they have to say about it. And that's what we did with friends and family um, and with our beta. And we got a, re- a lot of good feedback from our beta. We sent it out to a lot of influencers and said, okay, you guys – are people that women go to to follow for style or for advice, inspiration. You know what your what your followers like. I feel like your feedback would be invaluable. So we went out to a lot of influencers before we launched and got their feedback. Um, so we were able to take a lot of that feedback and really grow the site from it. And then we launched publicly a year ago. Yes. And that's when we had to sell it to investors. <laughs> Yes. And that still wasn't easy. It wasn't janky anymore. We had users. We had traction. <laughs> yeah. But we also don't have mindshare. And if you think about mindshare of um, if there's only 7% of uh, venture capitalists that are females, it's very hard to have and not to their fault. It's just a hard for a man to understand why it takes um, a woman's mindshare to get dressed. It was definitely something that, you know, for most males who just go and pick out the navy slacks and the navy jacket and the white shirt, they didn't quite relate to that problem. Um, and our lead investor is a male. And, and a lot of males, the good, the good news is that a lot of males want to invest in women. Women have 80 percent of the household spending power. Women are coming out and supporting technology and films and businesses more than ever before. So so there are men who want to invest in them, but they have a harder time connecting to what our pain points are. So that was yeah, what the problem. product would do mm-hmm. and why why they should care about it. 
And of course, then you get the obligatory. They go to their wives and say, would you use this? Right. A lot of women on No Limits will say that they go out and they pitch investors initially and they get frustrated by the fact that the investors predominantly men will say, well, let me talk to my wife about this. And then all of a sudden you're not the one selling the idea. It's a game of telephone through the investor to his wife. Correct. And most investors' wives are not our users. And most products are not built for investors' wives. Investors' wives, if you are a venture capitalist, you've, you are definitely in the top. You're rolling one. in yes, it. Yes, you're yeah. rolling. You are... <laughs> You are show me the money, and so the the an investor's wife is not going to be necessarily the. I rather them go out on the street. How did frankly. you break through then? How did you get through? Stay tuned for more from Brooklyn and Whitney after a quick word from our sponsor. Brought to you by Indeed, used by over three million businesses for hiring, where business owners and HR professionals can post job openings with screener questions, then sort, review, and communicate with candidates from an online dashboard. Learn more at Indeed.com slash hire. There's a lot coming at you right now. Turmoil, tweets, an insane amount of chatter. I'm Brad Milkey with ABC News, and I am here to throw you a lifeline. It's a new podcast called Start Here, where our experts give you on-the-ground access to the biggest stories of the day. We're going to give you some context, some clarity among the chaos. 20 minutes every weekday. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and start here. How did you get through? Actually, the investors, executive assistants. <laughs> this was genius. Okay, somebody this else was, who was it? genius. We had another. We actually had another company here tell us they did the same thing. Yeah. Yes. So Whitney would find we we would obviously be in touch with the assistant, the executive assistant to the investor, and Whitney would get them signed up on Finery before we walked in the door, and you would start a rapport with them, and you would get their feedback. Well, they had been on it for three, four weeks mm-hmm. and had been communicating with us about it and had had a personal experience with it and loved it. Um, and so that's how we made a lot of headway with these investors. And that's just really good advice for anyone trying to raise. The women from Bobble Bar. Yes, that's. I was oh, just going to tell you, I, yes. it wasn't an original idea. Yes, that's right. It was that's the fantastic. women from Bobble Bar that yes. sent these bracelets out ahead of time to all of the females in the office. And then and I learned from those women. And just said, hey, I'm going to get these EAs in finery. They're going to and also the associates or whatever female is in the office. I would imagine (laughs) that when when you guys were meeting with the investors initially, they would say, Brooklyn, you're an actor, former model, Whitney, former journalist, anchor. What makes you think you can start a company? They did. They actually, more insultingly, you were way nicer. They said, why is this not a hobby? How can you prove to us this isn't your hobby? Yeah, no joke. And, and what did you say? We were in when Whitney, it was Whitney's birthday. She's like, I'm sitting here pitching you on oh, my birthday. I and could be she was four weeks from having her second child. Yeah. And I so was, not allowed to travel, really. But we were doing no travel zone. And I was breaking a lot of pregnancy rules. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, we did get a lot of how is this not a hobby? You're like, aren't you guys a little busy or someone actually I mean, I shouldn't even say it. it was so dark. Someone said we should be partying on yachts and we should let our head of product take care of oh, the yeah. site. And we're like, who? What do you think? I was like, I don't are. think I, there's nobody. I, How well do you with think a this company there, is please. doing? <laughs> can I borrow your can I you have a yacht? Can you have a yacht I can borrow? Yes. Um, like, what was that? That so, was awesome. Yes, there was a lot of judgment thrown our way, but I think m- m- moreover, we we had a lot of people who were just really excited to to learn about what we were doing, and because we also vetted highly vetted the investors we even chose to meet with. 
we did we really did some diligence on who the type of people would be to invest in a company like this who typically invests in women and who would understand the space I would say that's what you really want to do as for advice out there is like don't just meet with anybody dumb money is exactly that and it will it will vex you for the rest of your life you have to get investors that are already kind of behind all of this and we we really like you know we would ask like, what percentage of your portfolio if we couldn't find out um has female entrepreneurs or CEOs and i mean it's small it's always going to be small but at least they know that's important you both work in different cities. Yes. So you're in Austin. Very inefficient. And you're in New York. <laughs> yes. So how do you make that work? Slack. Brooke is the only Slack. person <laughs> I know who slacks from a big time set. Yeah. She is slacking on the set, which is, I, I think, is a kind of a cool thing. Like she's sitting next to Jane Fonda in her chair, slacking to developers. Has Jane Fonda ever asked what you're doing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm and, building an empire, Jane. Yes. And actually, one of her former producers uh, is actually has her own fund in New York and is one of our investors, coincidentally, totally unrelated. And I told Jane about this and she's like, so what is this company you talk about? And I told her about Finery and I said, like, we get, we give you a return notification. So if you have to return something, we let you know you have three days, one day, whatever it is left to return this item. It's so great because women always forget to return things. And she goes, returns, what are you talking about? Once you own your clothing, you own your clothing. Who would you be returning it to? And I was like, oh, you're not, you're not an online shopper. Okay, no. yes, I am an avid online shopper. You're not like, that makes sense. You're returning everything. Right, I, I It's get almost it. as yes. fun to return things as it is, as yes, it is. <laughs> to buy like, them. You are not our user. Got it. Um, but yes, she has asked me about what I'm doing on set. Um, and and yeah, I mean, when, when we started this together, like it was with the understanding that I do have to work in LA and I am based in Austin and you are going to be with a team in New York. And Whitney said it so well, you know, I think it actually makes us stronger as co-founders because she's in the trenches every day with our team and you can get so hung up on the minutiae, right? Like everything, mm -hmm. every problem becomes so granular. And even like we're talking about copy and we get caught up on like where a comma goes and copy, you know, like you just get caught up on the tiniest of things. So to have someone who's kind of out of that space, who can take a fresh look at something with, you know, look at something with a fresh pair of eyes, I think really sort of helps so much the product so much because but it also helps that person can't be an advisor that person has to be obsessed also yeah. because that person knows every personality of everyone there and knows everything that's going on every day but has not been there all day exactly and so it's like the you come home with the kids and you've been with the kids all day you want to kill them sometimes and you want to be like ah they're going to say that again they're going to use that toy whereas someone else can come in the situation and say wait let's take a look at this and that's kind of how we roll brooke is in charge of growth and community so growth is there's like two parts to to having a tech product that is a productivity platform or social media or messaging or anything one is growth you have to show like a hockey stick nice growth and then you also have to show engagement and so engagement has to do with the product and how the product's working and how efficiently engagement means people come once and they keep coming back and then growth means people come once and they tell their friends so the two of us have sort of divided that those are equal things growth and engagement. So Brooke mm -hmm. is taking on growth and I'm taking on engagement. And we both have ideas mm -hmm. for the other one, but we kind of both have to say, okay, if you don't do this part, this part won't work. And if you don't grow, then it doesn't matter how engaged we are. Such a good point. What's the toughest lesson you've had to learn along the way? 
Hmm. Gosh, good question. I think one of the toughest one, I mean, honestly, I can just say it was very hard for me, the fundraising. It was the first time that I felt like being a woman, and I'm going to say, I mean, it just felt like being a woman was a detriment. And I just, I've never come into a room where I felt like I didn't own it. I didn't own the topic. I, I, I just always felt very confident in my life. I was an athlete and had been very successful in my career. And this was the first time that I felt like I was getting a ding just by walking in. And, and that just, I, I, I really had a hard time with that because I am also 40 now. And so there was just this point in me that was like, that really doesn't feel good. And I, I couldn't get over it for the first, like, I'm glad we practiced with people that we knew because I was definitely a little bit hyperbolic in terms of just being very emo about it. Like I would leave the meeting and be like super emo. Um, but then I got my sea legs and with Brooke with me and we had great feedback and we started and also we were very selective about who we saw. So we didn't get some of those like automatic jerks. There were some along the way, but Besides that, I, I I mean, that just to me was so surprising. I never thought in my career ever that I would really be facing that again. Again? Oh. You had it early on? Well, I mean, I was in news. <laughs> <laughs> that is where, like, I mean, look at all of that has come out in Me Too with news. It's just been, we've we've been our whole lives in television news. It is like Anchorman on steroids. Like that is the guy that you work Sounds with. Very entertaining. I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. I. This is going to sound terrible, what? but I, coming from fashion and modeling, found find this world, including fundraising, to be a more respectful experience than most of my experiences because you're actually having a conversation and someone's actually listening to what you're saying, and that True. in itself is such a gift. It's all perspective, it's I guess. Yes. Isn't that sad? But it's true. I thought like I, I left so energized because I'm like, we're sitting here having a conversation about smart things. We're talking about something that's really interesting that we're all passionate about. They care about what we're doing. True. Of course, we were met with a ton of bias going in in mm-hmm. some rooms. But um, but yeah, with my history, I was really energized by the process, which is <laughs> that's not so saying a lot. Of the whole thing. Yeah, it's not saying a lot about modeling in general. Brooklyn, what was the <laughs> toughest lesson for you? I, oh, this is going to sound sort of, uh, really, it was, the toughest lesson was really having to be incredibly responsive to users because I think we, I personally felt like I knew what they were going to want and they told me that I didn't know what they wanted and that was surprising. Um, and we really, I had to really check myself and say, okay, great. You, you do love this, but like, clearly there's more that you need to to make the experience with our product perfect. And that was that was hard for me, working so, 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 so hard to, again, reach what we thought was the top of a mountain only to be told, oh, yeah, great, now this is the beginning. Um, it really, it really put things into perspective for me. And, like, it was, a, it was kind of a gut check. And I think I'm better for it now. And I think as a result of that, um, we have done a ton of surveys and a ton of testing, and we hear from our users regularly, and we check in with them to figure out what's working and what's not working. We're starting this new community called The Finest for our most loyal users just to get their feedback. So it's changed the way we approach or I approach interacting with our users. Um, but that was a that was a surprise. 
Which Coming is, up with the name The check. Finest was actually really funny. That was I was going to okay. ask you about the name The Finery in the first place. How did you come up with that? Well, it was actually Dan Rather that came up with it. Really? Yes. Dan, I worked with Dan a year before we started this company. And Dan would always say, I mean, he's, he, he just has such, you know, he comes from a time where people did words. wear finery. Yes. And words matter. Yes, words really <laughs> did matter. And he he's so great. He would always say, oh, you know, Whitney, you always come to the office dressed in all your finery. And so finery meaning like your regala, your best clothes, your best foot forward. And I just, I, we loved that word. And both of us kept playing around with it. And it was, it's an old timey word. You know, like we talked Austin. about wanting an old timey word. Yeah, we love old timey words. Back in. We're kind of even though I mean, we're both sort of little old souls. Yeah. So when he said that and we went to go get the the actual domain and it wasn't available, but finery with two F's was available. So we're like, let's take that. And we did. <laughs> and then and it was twelve dollars and fifty cents. And we we're like, that works. You know, it's good enough. <laughs> And we made it the was, logo to look like a 3DF. So it was like two Fs, but it looked like one 3DF. Oh you know, we're like making a play on the double oh F. And, and then one of our investors who has this like beautiful like European accent, she said, so um, this week in F finery. And I was like, oh, God, she just said F finery. Like we, we can't have people saying F bomb finery. finery. And no, I was like, that's not going to work. That's not good. No. So no. we. That's not very old timey. Yeah. No. We, we bought, we, before the launch, we ended up just buying the domain. It actually was available. When I said it wasn't available, I mean for the $12.50 right. that we wanted to pay. So Did you secretly go in and get the, because there's always that concern if you let the person who actually owns the name know what you're trying to do, then they're going to jack up the price. You know, the price was high. The price was high. The, price they, was high. the thing is, that doesn't work anymore. So anybody out there who's trying to sneak and get like a student to get it, hey, I'm working on a project. We had one of our stu- one of the the guys who still had a Georgetown address. He wrote to them and said, "Hey, I'm a student. I'm looking for right the whole thing that everybody does." And the guy was like, "Yeah, it's still X, Y, and Z amount of dollars." Thanks. He had heard that before, and he had had this site since nineteen. 19- 89. Oh my gosh. He had owned That's a lot of fees over the years that he paid to own that. Okay. We had to pay them all back. (laughs) Uh, Worst advice you've received along the way? Oh, definitely this whole recruiting situation. Not hiring a recruiter. This is not good advice. Like somebody told me that it's 50% your network and 50% a recruiter. Um, I would say. I have been so many coffees, so many cocktails trying to recruit people, and I don't have a network of tech people. So I'm going to need a recruiter. It should be 50% network and 50% recruiter if you are a tech entrepreneur or are a tech founder. So just do yourself a favor. If you're a non-technical co-founder, then just hire a recruiter. They know what they're doing. They can really suss out and the subterfuge for you and and get to the the crux of it. And then you will build your network, but not right now. How long did it take you before you decided, no, it's recruiter time? It's just happening right now. <laughs> In this moment, because we're actually meeting with someone after this. Yeah, they are meeting out with the recruiter? No, 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 no. We're a network, no, recruiter. I guess. No, we're meeting with someone who could a potentially. Employee. Yes, 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 yes. We actually have a. a so we're, right after this. Right after this, where I was like, so Brooks in town. <laughs> we're going to go meet this guy. He's reached out to us. He's a UX product person who worked at a really big company and reached out to us 
And meantime, we're recruiting like this. Hey, do you want a job? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime we're in the news, we're always trying to find female coders, mm-hmm. actually. Female product designers, female product people, female data scientists. We're, we're really trying to walk our talk and hire females. Well, anyone who's listening right now, if you'd like to send a resume to me at No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com i'll send it to you guys or your yes. recruiter thank you any yes. of your any what of the percentage are you there? taking thank you <laughs> i won't I'll take a cut at all it's yeah. all on the house but i would say that there are other big life lessons that i've learned along the way that are not about recruiters i would definitely i think just what i touched on earlier about passion versus obsession that you that all things that you are going into if you you really have to find your passions and then when they become obsessions you have to understand how to channel those and really be efficient and really get the best out of everybody around you who it's not their obsession but you better make sure it's their passion so everyone you work with doesn't have to be their obsession but it better be their passion that's the litmus test and if they aren't then that should be one of your pillars for hiring and for just even your friends like even your the people that you keep around you because mm-hmm. they will continue. You will be like an outlet that they continue. You keep putting in and they keep pulling out the energy and you keep putting in and they keep pulling out. And so think about it as like a well or an outlet or whatever. You have to be able to they have to be energizing you and putting it right back in, filling up the well. Otherwise, it's like you're just going to be empty at the end of every day. There's a lot of people who look great on paper. But if they're not going to be loyal, if they're not on board with the mission, if they don't love it and care about it, then they can have all the degrees and all of the great experience in the world. They are not going to be your best employee. Yep. And they they'll run when it gets tough. Yeah. And that's why I also say you've got to give equity to people who you employ. So it's very important to have them own it, not only um, intellectually, but also, you know, with stocks. Um, I want to do a full other conversation with both of you another time about that, about hiring and stock and how you even think through that question, because I think that's a huge question for founders. It's a big deal. I really both of us really believe you have to own part of the company ownership. You've got to or otherwise, what? why are you working all these crazy hours? Yeah. Like it's yours, too. The company has to be yours, too. I Brooklyn, worst advice, worst advice. Um I feel like I've been fed a lot of bad advice over the years, uh, none of which is applied to this specifically, but um, probably just stay in your lane and do what you know. I think a lot of people get that Someone advice. Someone told you that? How how early in your life did you get that? Um, pretty very early. I mean, I moved to New York at 18 to model. So I was kind of, you know, I sort of threw myself right into the professional world um or young i i was i was i was probably 20 when i received that advice um and i think it's because i was doing the cliche transition into acting fortunately it, it worked for me but it was you know it was something that a lot of people did and it didn't work for a lot of people or people just thought like just you know just look pretty and, and that's it you know for a camera and like have that be it um and so i would say that was probably the worst advice i received which is kind of stay in stay in my lane did you consider doing that at any point like Never. did it no not at all no. so there was no sense of this person might have been around longer than i have maybe i should 
No, I just I always thought it was ridiculous advice because I think the, I think you look at most people and they've lived several different lives or done several different things. And I just to me, that was never a possibility to listen to that. Um, I thought it was a little ridiculous. But, you know, I think I think what it is, I think ultimately when people are giving that advice, I don't know if they mean I, I don't I, I it's not that they're trying to hurt you or give you bad advice. I think they honestly see like you have security in one avenue like stick to that this is solid you have a job you're making an income this is reliable stick with this which is funny because like it's modeling is not that reliable but they were like stick to this and i think they believe that they're doing someone a favor instead of really encouraging someone to you know stretch their minds a little bit and push themselves and test those boundaries and do all those things that make us so great just people in general um so yeah i would say it was probably my worst advice and a lot you? of people told me to lose weight which is like just bad what? oh god yeah and what would terrible. have happened yeah not, not the, a lot of people said weight. that back in the day oh yeah just to get whoa if I you know. if you had taken the advice the stay in your lane advice yeah what would have happened i mean i and there's nothing wrong with this but i probably would be married with my children which i have at home you know not not working not doing this and and that I feel like is probably the hardest job in the world. Like I have now with two children, have the utmost respect for stay-at-home moms. Um, I bow down to you. But I think that probably had I listened to that advice and taken it to heart, I don't think I ever would have pushed myself. But fortunately, it, it, it the advice seemed a little ridiculous at the time, so I didn't listen. But to she it. had a great. She also had great role models. Like her mom, yes. was a was a hardcore nurse, and both my parents, working parents, that like, I think stop. Young and, parents and was here with her in New York when she came yes. and was eighteen. So I think yeah. having good female role models was like yes, that was very helpful. Yes. and she's become a really good female role model too because of that. I think you are you a the role same model. With your mom. I mean, I think yeah. My mom had this rule because I started so young. I started at sixteen, and she said you will never go to a photo shoot or on a trip or out of the city or in New York or anything without me until you're an adult. So until you're eighteen. You will not be doing anything alone. And she was incredibly protective. And I think that helped a lot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We had strong moms. Strong yeah. moms are the best. I have a strong mom, too. Yes. 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 Um, you guys are awesome. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. One more shout out to the strong moms out there. Woo! <laughs> I made Taylor laugh. It is the end of the interview, which means it's time for a No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of you, our amazing listeners who's building something of your own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur is Nicole Biscuti. She is the founder of The Chesty, and she was nominated by Allison Kenworthy, who's actually one of our producers here at Good Morning America. She does wonderful work. So Nicole caught her eye because Nicole used to work in PR and then she started weightlifting and started performing in these cross training competitions. But she realized as she was doing all of this weightlifting that she was hurting herself. And so she actually set to work on solving it. And the chesty, the sports bra, which has this built in collarbone protection for women who are doing barbell weightlifting exercises, is the solution. And I love that she was sitting at her desk in PR, but realized there was this other thing out there that she could solve. And not only did she do something about it, but it became a huge success. Here she is to tell you more about it. Hi, my name is Nicole Biscuti, and I'm the founder of The Chesty. The Chesty is a 
sports bra with the built-in collarbone guard. It was specifically designed to help athletes with uh, their barbell workouts. So when you have a barbell in the front rack position, every time it hits your chest, you're not worried about bruising, scraping, or skin irritation. What's really cool about my company is the partnerships that we create with female athletes. So I get to work with them, create their favorite designs, especially for what they do as far as their workouts in their favorite colors, patterns, and prints. In five and a half years, we've grown to the point where now we're doing more than 500 online orders a month. We are selling in 16 countries and we have more than 40 styles. So it's pretty cool. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us, Nicole. I think it's really exciting what you're building and I wish you continued success. Remember, listeners, You can head over to Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis to hear more of Nicole's story. And don't forget, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as an Entrepreneur of the Week, send those nominations to me here at No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. You can also send me your career questions there. I read every email that shows up, and I really appreciate it when you do take the time to write. I also want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who have been leaving us reviews like this one, which... I'm pretty impressed, came from royalty. Princess Cree wrote, I love this podcast and I always look forward to listening to each new one. RJ does an excellent job in asking the right questions so that we can really understand the thought process of these phenomenal women that come on the podcast. Well, Princess Cree, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if you ever have a royal wedding, I will be there. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Rebecca Jarvis. Don't forget to use our hashtag No Limits Podcast. And finally, a shout out to the team here that helps make this happen week after week. My producer, Taylor Dunn, editor, Michelle Boncardo, research assistant, Annie Osakway, and the ABC radio team, David Rind, Elizabeth Russo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelb, and Steve Jones. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.